Well, good morning, everyone. We're glad you're here today. If you would take your Bibles, please, and go to that passage in First uh, Chronicles uh, 29, and uh, we will uh, be there um, about halfway through our message today. And uh, today is an important day in the life of our church ministry. As you came in, you should have received a uh, small uh, packet of material or a brochure that talks a little bit about the um, things that are on our hearts today. If you're a visitor here today, today's a little bit of a different uh, Sunday for us, and uh, we hope that you will come back um, in weeks and months to come, as uh, this is an important day for us to um, talk together about the future of uh, College Park Church and what uh, our elders believe that the Lord is uh, giving us to consider on this important day. I want to remind you that we have a congregational meeting tonight at 6 o'clock. That will be an important time. And today really serves kind of as an introduction to that meeting this evening. So let's pray together and uh, get to work here today. Father, we are grateful that uh, we get to worship you, to think that uh, you alone are worthy. God, that, that song that we have sung just a moment ago which captures the heart and soul of what we're talking about today uh, a, a people gathered whose express purpose is to declare your worthiness, your beauty, and your glory. And so we pray that you would be honored today in what happens at this um, campus today, be honored at what happens in worship too, or be honored as um, the people of um, College Park Church, Church in Columbus continue to meet and discerning their future in terms of church planting. And we pray that um, your heart, God, would just be filled uh, with love for your people as we love on you today through your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The mission of uh, College Park Church is fairly simple, but it's um, very significant. It is igniting a passion to follow Jesus. And what you need to know is that mission for us is more than a motto or a moniker or a mural. It's personal. Because we believe passionately that the Lord Jesus Christ can really change people's lives. We believe that if somebody comes into a face-to-face encounter with a living Christ, that in an instant they can have their sins forgiven, their lives radically transformed, and they can become a new creature. Kyle and Stephanie Bingle came to College Park Church a number of months ago. They, like so many, were invited by their friends. And when they came, they were drawn here because they sensed the movement of God's Spirit in His people through the exposition of God's Word. They sensed the church alive. In a short time, they attended the members' class. They joined the church, becoming part of this body, and then were part of the bridge, a a small group ministry trying to help people move from membership into a connection point with multiple people. And they found some friends in that bridge class, that bridge larger kind of small group environment. And as a result of that, gathered about 10 or 12 of those new folks together, and Kyle became their small group leader. So they went from a visitor entranced with the beauty of what was happening in the church, connecting with people, became now the small group leader and last fresh encounter service Kyle brought a friend of his we've been trying to witness to for a number of months brought that friend to a fresh encounter service in the middle of that service the friend asked for prayer people gathered around him in the middle of the fresh encounter service the young man fell under the conviction of the spirit and after the service prayed to receive Christ we believe that Jesus can radically transform people's lives Jeremy And his wife, Christina Hawkins, came to College Park uh, first of the year. We had started the series called um, On Job, On the Suffering, the Sovereignty of God. And that whole sermon series was about a little statement trying to figure out that the who question is far more important than the why question. 
And for Jeremy and Christina, that was a providential appointment because Jeremy was in the middle of a really tenuous job situation trying to discern what it was that God was doing and how it was that he was going to be able to provide for their needs. So financially and from an uh, an economic standpoint and a career standpoint, things were all uh, very tenuous. And it was coming to College Park that they found a, a new relationship with Christ. Jeremy had grown up in church but decided that this was a moment in his life when he needed to recommit his heart and life to Christ. And his wife, um, Christina, came to understand that a relationship with Christ needed to be personal. And they now are plugged into the ministry. She's involved in MOPS, and he's actually in an apologetics class at College Park Institute because they found what it means to have a new relationship with Christ. Rick Baum came to our coffee talk room, a man broken and in crisis. His marriage had fallen apart months ago, and his grown son had died of a heart attack. He shouldn't have experienced all of these trials at once, but there he was. And he came to the coffee talk room just trying to figure out, what do I do with my life now? And there in the coffee talk room, God met him. An old friend of his happened to come by the coffee talk room, saw him there, inquired about why he was there, and challenged him that this would be a good time in his life to recommit his life to Jesus, which he did. And now Rick, an ex-Marine, is finding a way to use his gifts in our military family ministry here at College Park Church. And the last story I'll tell you is the story of a woman named Ruth. That's not her real name. Ruth lives in the Brookside neighborhood. And um, she um, came to know Christ in a personal way through a discipleship program that we have, we have called Heart Change. Uh, part of the vision of that ministry is to not only help women understand the claims of Christ upon them, but also to help them see that when Christ fills you, that you actually can not only have a new life in the future, but you can have a new life now. But for many of those women, it's as practical as a GED or a driver's license. And so heart change is holistic, not just giving people Jesus and saying, be warm and be filled, but instead saying, here's some hope and help that I can do for you in terms of just some tangible things in your life to share with you the love of Christ. Well, Ruth not only came to receive Christ, but also her mentor helped her get her GED, helped her develop her resume. She ended up getting a great job, and then there was a transportation problem. Well, actually, a bigger problem than that. You see, Ruth didn't have a driver's license, and she didn't know how to drive. And so the mentor helped her take her driver's uh, license um, test, even actually taught her how to drive. And then a local businessman donated a car to her. And um, that car now has become her means of transportation back and forth to this job that she was able to secure because of the hope and love given through a ministry called Heart Change. So those are four stories. I could go on and on and on and on of all the ways that God has seen fit for whatever reason to bless us as a church ministry with the stories of lives that have been changed. The reality is, folks, igniting a passion to follow Jesus is both compelling and it is contagious. Now this morning, we're going to talk about what this means for us as a congregation. And as those of you who know have been around here for a while, for over a year now, we have been talking and praying and thinking about our growth strategy. And the reason, just to review is that in the last 18 months, we've grown by 1,200 people. So if you feel like it's a little crowded, if you feel like you have to get earlier, you're not weird, that is the case. The reality is um, people are coming to us and asking us to tell them about Jesus. We don't have to do a marketing campaign. We don't have to put a billboard or a banner out. What's happening is that people are experiencing the reality of a new life in Christ. They're going and telling their friends, and then their friends are coming and experiencing what we have come to experience every Lord's Day. 
I think of a man who I met in the coffee talk room and in the course of that conversation knew that this man was ripe and ready to receive Christ. In fact, so confident I was that he was ripe and ready, I said, let's meet Wednesday night for coffee and just get together and talk a little bit about where your your soul is at. And I said to my wife, look, you have to come with me to this meeting because I'm telling you, this guy's going to receive Christ. And he's like so ripe for the gospel. And, And he came to us, just came searching, came to the coffee talk room, and sure enough, that Wednesday evening, got to sit down and share with him the gospel. And that evening in my office, he prayed to receive Christ. See, that's the kind of opportunity we have coming to us. And because of that, there's a stewardship that we need to deal with. We talk and laugh a little bit about things like competitive seating or what I call the stairway of doom or what somebody um, recently called the parking lot of peril. So there's all sorts of things that we, we, little things that we come up with to kind of help us deal with the reality that it's crowded. Yet last Sunday, as I'm walking out of the uh, sanctuary, I noticed a couple panicked trying to find a seat. They were visitors and I had to actually show them where they could sit so that they could find a, a seat. And, and that's what we deal with every single week. We've asked you to come early, to uh, sit close, to park far, and to help out, and you've been incredibly respons- responsive to that. And I just want to thank you for doing that. This service is full um, compared to what it was when I first came here. You folks have really responded well, and I just really appreciate that. But the challenge is more than just sanctuary seating for us. See, the, the unique dynamics that we have here is once we solve one problem, another develops. And so there, all these things are tied together. From sanctuary seating and children's ministry and parking lot issues, our uh, space constraints are all linked together. And so our elders came to see that we can't fix one challenge without addressing the others. And uh, so we needed a holistic and a comprehensive plan. And yet in the midst of while we're thinking all of this, while God is helping us to grow, there's another reality, which is the fact that we're in a very difficult and kind of tenuous economic environment. And that makes this kind of project quite challenging. The fact of the matter is is that days uh, like these um, have been much more challenging than than what they were five to six years ago. And that's why we have taken almost a year of careful thought, planning, and consideration as to what is it that God is asking us to do. And so we know as elders that moving forward and presenting this to you today and this evening has some risks, but we also believe something firmly within our hearts, and it's this, that there's also great risk in doing nothing. There's a sense of a tsunami of a stewardship responsibility that we have that God has sent us our way. It's not that we just have um, the opportunity to minister to more people. It's that those people are coming to us. And therefore, it's our belief that we have to be good stewards of that opportunity that God has given us. So this morning you received in your hands a, um, a simple brochure that summarizes the basics of what we're considering. And tonight at a congregational meeting, we're going to consider entering into a stewardship season or uh, a capital campaign. Now, we are going to walk you through tonight the rationale, the financial boundaries, and all of that. And our, our vote tonight is not a vote to build. It's simply a vote to decide if we will be willing as a congregation to enter into a season of seeking the Lord in terms of what we would be willing to give over the next three years. So you can think of it this way. Um, really what this is is an opportunity for us to decide as a congregation, yes, ask us for more money. That's really what it is, permission. And then we'll go through a season of seeking the Lord over those 40 days of prayer and commitment and then come back to you as a congregation in March. Um, And the final vote will be, now that we know what we're willing to do, are you as a church family um, willing to say yes 
This very evidently is God's will, and let's keep moving forward. You'll notice that the um, the packet of material that we handed out doesn't have any kind of fancy title like equal sacrifice or equal giving or brick by brick. And, and the reason is is that this project, quite honestly, folks, is very simple. It is that we have a mission, and we need to have this mission expand, and we need the facilities, a place to be able to do it. So there's nothing really fancy about it. It just is the fact that we need more place to do and accomplish the things that God has called us to do. So the building is designed to um, help us accomplish our mission. It's also designed very specifically to preserve our DNA. And over the next number of weeks, if the vote tonight is affirmative, you'll hear about how this facility is designed to help us accomplish our DNA um, as a church and fulfill really who we are. So our desire um, in both the design and our funding um, is to be sure that we carefully evaluate both what we can do and what we need and to be sure that either the building or our financial position don't put us in a situation where it changes who we are fundamentally. So we're looking at it both from a design standpoint and a funding piece to be sure that who we are as a church is preserved moving forward. We sense that God's hand is on the church and therefore we need to move strategically and carefully but also thoughtfully. Now, on the final page of this material is the uh, funding um, elements, and that relates to our total project cost. Our total project cost is 19 million, which includes the cost of the facility at 17 million, and uh, 2 million in interest and contingency protection. So the total project's 19, 17, and 2. Our funding will come from two different sources. This is really important, so please listen, listen carefully. The first funding source will be three-year commitments on our part as a congregation, over and above what we give to the general operating expenses of this church. The second source will come from a budget commitment that will be taken out of our operating expenses over the next three to four years. The minimum funding goal for the three-year commitments is 12, and the maximum contribution from the budget is 2. So between those two sources, we need to be at $14 Ideally, as you'll hear tonight, we would be at 14 million in three-year commitments so that the budget doesn't have to bear any additional weight um, of this project moving forward. Now, when you look at that kind of goal of 12 million or 14 million, for many of you like me, you look at that and go, wow, that's a, that's a tall mountain to climb. And one of the reasons that um, our elders took some time uh, over the last couple of months was to really do a feasibility study and to take a look and say, so if we're going to do this, our our leadership, are our people on board with this, is a small group of people on board with this to try and help us get to that 12 to $14 million goal. And I'm pleased to tell you this morning that we already have in leadership commitments $6.1 million towards that goal. That's from 14 families, from a $1 million to 25000 and from our elders as a composite total, 350000 So we see the Lord's hand in this thing already. And we're looking forward to the opportunity to present this in the full form, both this evening and in the weeks to come, believing that God has already begun to demonstrate that there's a movement amongst his people, and we want to simply find out where he's working and get in on it. So tonight, as a congregation, we'll have a congregational vote, and the vote again is just simply to enter into a stewardship season and to seek the Lord, basically to say, do we have permission to ask you for money? Yes or no? And then we go through a process of asking you for money. And at the end, we collect the cards and say, okay, here's what we've got. Are we ready to build? And um, that is a, um, 
um, an important meeting that will take place on March 21. So the reality is, through all of this, that we have to do something in order to meet the needs of our growing church. And um, this facility allows us to minister to people that God is already sending us. So sometimes we talk about buildings and people might kind of cast the vision of if you build it, they'll come. This isn't a Field of Dreams project like that. They're already here. (laughs) So we have to figure out how do we address the needs that God has already given us, already sent our direction. And for me, I feel the weight of the stewardship of this moment very significantly. So that's the material, and that's kind of the introduction for what we're going to talk about today. What I want to do now is help you think about how, how do you think biblically about facilities, okay? And I want to just take you through a quick little summary of the locations that the people of God met in and how they thought about those facilities. Because, hear me, facilities aren't important in the sense that they're more important than worship, but facilities facilitate meeting with God, and that's really important. In fact, I would tell you that I could almost kind of mark my spiritual journey in life by the places, the locations that God has met me. And therefore, I just want you to understand a few things about how God's people thought about their facilities throughout the course of redemptive history. Let me give you the first example. The first example would be that of the tabernacle. Remember those days when the nation of Israel was roaming in the, in the wilderness and uh, God had uh, set up his um, covenant with them on the uh, Mount Sinai, had affirmed his love for his people, also his claims upon them because he had drawn them out of Egypt. Um, well, Exodus 35, and if you have your Bible, turn there. Exodus 35 and verse 20 God gave instructions to the nation of Israel that they were to um, collect money from God's people for the construction of this tabernacle. And in um, Exodus 35 and verse 20, here's what um, Moses records as far as the picture of that moment. Exodus 35, 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, every one whose heart stirred him, and every one whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were, and you're going to see this over and over in the Bible, who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signets and rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord. Now, take your Bible and go over to Exodus 36. The crazy thing is, is that these people were so generous, so overwhelmed with God's provision. In fact, many of these things that they had were likely the bounty that they had gotten from the people of Egypt. As the people of Egypt said, hey, get out of here. You, you people hang around us and bad things happen. Like people die, so get out of here. And then they, they gave them gifts to kind of send them on the way faster. And so they're giving all of these things. And Exodus 36, 2 says this, And Moses called Bezalel and Oliab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to do the work, and they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work on the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task he was doing. Verse 5, And they said to Moses, The people bring much more than enough for doing the work the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command, and word was proclaimed throughout the camp, quote, Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. 
So the people were restrained from bringing, for the material they had was sufficient to do the work and more. This is a dream scenario right here, okay? So, so they just kept bringing and bringing, and Moses says, okay, time out. We got more than enough. People are like, you won't take my stuff? Like, no, no, no. We're all set. So I just, can you imagine this? But here's just a dream, just a way out there, big dream. Imagine the scenario of what would happen in our community if we did this project debt-free. Can you imagine that? I've, I've done a campaign before at a church ministry that was debt-free. So just imagine what that would be like, because I think that's actually something we ought to pray and think about in terms of the glory that God would receive if we literally had to say to you, okay, folks, that's enough time out. No more giving. That would be an unbelievable moment, as it was in the nation of Israel. All right, now we're going to skip a thousand years. We're going to go way, way, going to overshoot to Ezra chapter 3, okay? So you fast forward, here's what's happened. The nation of Israel has come and gone. Uh, Babylon and Assyria have come, they've conquered. The people have been now brought to the Babylonian captivity, and they have now returned. So all the way through the kings, the prophets, they come back. A thousand years when they came back to, to the nation of Israel, and specifically the city of Jerusalem, they started to build, or, or rather to rebuild the temple. And Ezra 3 and verse 10 says this, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David the king. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord was, of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though they shout, though many shouted aloud for joy, so the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shout from the sound of people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. What's going on here? Well, the, the old people who were there had remembered the days of the temple. They remembered what, what it, remembered that, that, the, the beautiful reality of what Jerusalem was. And when they saw the foundations being laid, it wasn't about a building. It was about an encounter with the living God. You see, that's why some of you sit in the same place. Okay? Here's the clue. It's not just because you're a creature of habit. It's because there's something about where I was when I met God that there's something even special about this very room, about a very particular sp- spot. I can remember a very specific moment in my life in college when God met me, and I remember exactly where I was, particular building, and where I was that moment when God showed up. And so there is this sense that while facilities aren't the main thing, they certainly are a thing in terms of where people meet with the living God. Now the final one is from First Chronicles 29. Look at this one. Here's the third example. Back to 1 Chronicles 29. The final and most memorable example, and this is the text that we read this morning, was the, the um, construction of the temple. And David, of course, as you'll remember, wanted to build the temple, but God prevented him. Instead, he gave that honor to his son Solomon. And 1 Chronicles is loaded with important and helpful information. The first thing I want you to notice when you're over in 1 Chronicles 29 is in verses 3 to 5, you will see this that David and the leaders made an early commitment before they asked the congregation to give. 
So if you wonder why we did what we did in terms of thinking this through, we want you to know that our leaders are on board and we're not going to ask you to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. And as well, um, for us to have the whole congregation understand that, that this um, kind of concept doesn't take just one or two people. It takes a collection of people from every um, size of gift finding a way to give sacrificially to what it is that the Lord is asking us to do. So David committed, then the leaders committed, and then the people committed. By the way, if you were to try and figure out, I I tried to do this, um, David gave, in today's value, $3 billion in gold. Number two, notice that their offering increased their joy. Look at 1 Chronicles 29 and verse 9. It says this, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. So there was the sense that this this offering that they were taking was was not just about money. It, It really was something that increased their joy. They discovered, as people have throughout the centuries of Christianity, and as the New Testament talks about, that God loves a cheerful giver. The reality is you're just giving God back his stuff. You're just giving him his things that he owns anyways. And God loves those who give with a cheerful, generous heart. So offering or the giving of financial resources actually increased their joy. And over the next couple of weeks, we'll talk a little bit more about what that means. Then the final thing from First Chronicles 29 and verse 10 was that their offering created worship. And this is the passage that we read already together. And this prayer gives us a threefold summary of what's going on in our hearts, um, or rather in this text, and what I really pray happens in our hearts. There's three words here I just want to camp out on that I hope you'll remember. The first one is the word exult. Not exalt, but exult. Exult means to worship in or towards. Not just to lift up, that's exalt. Exult means that you are enamored, entranced with a big vision of who God is. And I want you to see how in this particular text, at this particular moment, the people exulted in who God is. Look at verse 10. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Listen to his words. Verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand are power and might, and in your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Here's the thing. I live... For the passion that you would know what it means to follow Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I live and study and work so that when you come on Sunday, we can exult in something far greater than ourselves. And our staff works to be sure that when a lost person comes into our building, that we work as hard as we can to make them as comfortable as possible so they can come under the presence of God and then feel as uncomfortable as possible in their lost condition. So it is a spiritual bait and switch. And we're, it, it is. That's what our aim is. So if you've come this morning, you're like, yeah, that was comfortable and comfortable. Now it's like not. Bingo. That's our goal. And that's who we are. Here's why. Because we believe that people need to be brought into the presence of God. And when they encounter Him face to face, amazing things happen through the person and work of Jesus. 
I also believe that our culture is longing for something more than just felt needs and having um, our particular issues in life settled. People are longing for something bigger, grander, bolder, more eternal, more sovereign, more spiritual than themselves. And what our vision is, is a location where people will exult in God. Now the second thing in this prayer is this, is that there is an embrace. Notice what David says, verse 14. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you. What's David saying here? He's saying he's just like a little kid. I'm just giving you back your stuff. It's like my kids when they were little and they gave me Christmas presents and they wrapped up my own tools and gave them back to me. You know? And sometimes they were rusty, than when I, more rustier than when I bought them, and they gave me my stuff back, you know? And everything they've given me is a funding source that's basically through me. So everything they have really belongs to me in the first place. But it, it makes my heart joyful. And David says, I'm like a little kid, because everything that we give, it's all yours anyways. And so the reality is when people meet God, there is a sense that if they understand Him correctly, they'll also know who they are. And the beautiful thing is that when God's people begin to think about how they give and how they um, sacrifice, there's this reality of who God is and who who I am. I got nothing without you. And you own it all anyways. And we long for a place, a facility, an environment where people will not only exult in God, but will also embrace their own need. And then the final one, verse 17, is beautiful. There's an expectation. There's hopeful expectation of what could be. David says this, I know, my God, that you test the heart, have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, for keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts to you. That's what we long for is to be able to say, Lord, would you keep our purpose solid? Would you direct our hearts to you? Would you bring more people here that we could be able to minister to? Lord, keep us solid, keep us firm. Don't let us waver from our core commitments in terms of who we are. But Lord, as you choose to bless those core commitments of who we are, keep our purpose solid, and then allow us, God, to direct more hearts to you. That's our aim, our mission. I don't know about you, But I long for that to happen at College Park Church. And we have even more reason to exult and embrace and expect because we have so much more spiritual light than even the Israelites had in their day and time. We we get the full picture. The Messiah, Jesus, the reality of the cross. We, We have all the more reason to exult and embrace and expect God to do great and marvelous things. So listen... Our mission of igniting a passion to follow Jesus is compelling and contagious. And the reason why we're having this discussion is because we just want to be the best stewards of the people and the ministry that God is giving us. The fruit of what is happening here is evident to other people. You know, Jesus said, by your fruits you will know them. Let me tell you what one pastor in our area, Mike Bowling from Englewood Christian Church, a partner of ours in the Brookside neighborhood, this is what he said recently about our people, about you. He said this, when I've been with the staff and people of College Park Church, I get the sense that this is a group of people mobilized by mission. I see a group of folks who are captured by mission of God, reconciling all creation to himself. 
there doesn't seem to be any boundaries to College Park's sense of the mission of God through Christ Jesus. I would completely agree with that, and I'm grateful for a brother in our community who sees that in the lives of our people. When I was in India, I stood um, teary-eyed in a school courtyard with um, 200-plus little children. This Christian school was the first of its kind in this region. You see, the Buddhist prince generations ago had paid tribute to the nation of Great Britain as a guarantee that they would not allow any missionaries to come into that region. So for years and years and years, there was no gospel witness. And I'm standing there on the back porch of this building. Look at these school children. And some of the children down there are the um, the ruler's children who don't know Christ. And they're sending them to a Christian school in this region. And the only reason that this school is there is because of the generosity of College Park Church people. And I'm, I'm standing there realizing that I am on the dawn of gospel missions because of the generosity of this church family. I, I look at that and think there are things that we're able to do as a church ministry that we, that few other churches can do, and therefore we need to be good stewards of that. And when I think of the strategic impact of ministries like that in India, frankly, I want more of that. Um, in a few um, days, a, a shipping container with um, 88,000 pounds of food will be shipped to Haiti sent out by um, Midwest Food Bank. I don't know if you know it or not, but Midwest Food Bank in this region was started in 2008 by four couples from College Park Church. Artie and Leanne Booker, Jim and Rose Kapinski, Dale and Sarah Shaw, and Mark and Crystal Novotny had a vision of what they could do to try and channel resources in our community to help feed people who were hungry. And as a result of that, now we're able to partner with um, the Midwest Food Bank and sending food to Haiti, but not only that, send it to all sorts of other places all around the world. And I want more of that. I think of what happened when we did a series on relationships in August, and I preached a really tough message on the subject of pride. And if you remember that series, uh, it was um, how to kill relationships and irritate people. And the first message on that was just be full of yourself. And we dealt with that deadly foe called pride. At the end of the sermon, um, invited those who wanted to repent of their pride and really get serious about turning from that to come forward and to kneel. And you never know how those things are going to go. And on that particular Sunday, every service had at least 50, and in some cases, 80 people up here at the front. In some cases, they were going halfway back into the sanctuary, kneeling, and there was an audible sound of the conviction of the Spirit of God upon people's hearts and lives as they're kneeling. And I am unashamedly for more of that. So, just for a moment, imagine with me the opportunity for us to minister to 5,000 people each weekend. Imagine with me a church filled with a diverse collection of people from all walks of life. A church that understands that grace knows no limit and no color. Imagine a Christmas offering that hits a million dollars. Imagine with me the ability to host conferences in theology and counseling and social justice and foreign missions. 
Imagine a fresh encounter service with a thousand or more people and that around our community we're known as an Acts 6-4 church, a church committed to the word and prayer. Imagine that, that we're known that in such a way that when you have a lost friend or a neighbor who needs prayer that you tell them, you know what, come to our Sunday evening a fresh encounter service. We'll, you'll have people who will pray for you. Imagine partnering with other churches in our city to make a difference in the Brookside neighborhood. Imagine a leadership institute that helps believers in the marketplace learn how they can use their gifts and be salt and light in downtown or on the, on the, on the, on the, uh, the band of 465 or maybe even on the foreign mission field. Imagine with me children's ministry, junior high, senior high, singles, bursting with young people on fire for God's word and filled with spirit-empowered love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Imagine with me for a moment what igniting a passion to follow Jesus could look like at a whole new level. Imagine what it would look like if we really grabbed a hold of the opportunity to exult in God, to embrace our need, and to expect great things every time we meet with Jesus, and that God uses the generosity of his people to make that vision a reality. See, igniting a passion to follow Jesus is not just a motto, a moniker, or a mural. It really is personal. It relates to the lives of people who have been transformed by the glorious reality of meeting Jesus. And all we want to say is, look, that reality, yeah, we want more of that for God's glory and our good. So that's our heart. That's our vision. That's our purpose. And uh, that's where we're asking you as a church to uh, move us into over the next 40 days. Father, we um, pray that your um, heart would be pleased with... um, where we go over the next number of weeks, it is an um, important moment in our church's history, uh, a day for um, careful thought, a day for um, seeking you, a day, Lord, for um, you to show us what it is that um, you would have for us in our future. And so we're asking for wisdom as we have asked for it for months. Lord, we've worked hard to look at everything we possibly can, and Lord, we have worked to prepare the horse so to speak, for battle. But at the end of the day, the battle belongs to the Lord. And so we just simply lay before you our best laid plans, and we say, God, if it is your will, um, as your people, we are wanting to do whatever you call us to do in this community. Thank you for the stories of change in our community, and we pray that you'd bring more of that for your glory and for the good of your church. Lord, we want to be good stewards of what you've entrusted to us. And Father, I pray that the light of the gospel would continue to shine forth from this church ministry so that more people's lives could be changed, so that you could receive much more exaltation, so that we could embrace what it means to know you, and Lord, we could expect you to do great things in our midst. Oh God, thank you for your faithfulness, and we bank our hope on you. In Jesus' name, amen.